everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. This episode will be discussing the world of In Living Color. We're discussing the sketch shows. I know it's been a little bit, but Tony's back after, what, six months? Because it's mostly my fault. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I'm, I, am, I am back, uh, by, not by popular demand, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I'm back anyway. <laughs> no, I forgot. We did the, the albums. We did that in the middle there. Oh, that's right. That's right. I think we did, we did like classic rock albums and stuff like that, or bands, our top 10 songs that we saw them in concert. Um, so we're back in 1992. Uh, this is a midpoint. I know In Living Color started in 1990, but this is where we are in the general concept of the podcast is in 1992. So I figured it was a good time to hit this because uh, this is when In Living Color is really at its peak and sadly is really close to its crash. Um, I've never seen a show go so high and fall so fast, maybe except for Twin Peaks. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, that show, Out of the Gate, and maybe the uh, the best pilot I've ever seen. I, I've never seen a pilot that strong. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I hate to juxtapose it with um, Saturday Night Live's pilot. I mean, we're going to be doing, I, mean, I imagine there's going to be a lot of SNL comparisons. I mean, it'd be hard not to be, because that's the king. Right, right. That's one everybody's trying to knock down. Right. But, um, I mean, when you. I mean, granted, I don't know. SL didn't really, I guess, besides the Smothers Brothers, didn't have a huge template to follow as far as what to do and how a sketch comedy show should work. Like, you know what I mean? At least, you know, they weren't on prime time, but like, you know, like, uh, you know. But, you know, there wasn't an actual blueprint to follow is, 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 what, is what I'm trying to, trying to get at. Yeah. But, I mean, when you look at it now, it's just, I mean, I, I understand that's in the 70s, so it's going to look dated. But I just, it's just by, by comparison, they're like, right. Well, one, it's not one, a finely tuned machine. Keenan Ivory Wayans clearly knew exactly what he wanted. And as genius as Lord Michaels has been over the last 30 years, there are periods where he made huge mistakes. And I think at the beginning of Saturday Night Live, he still was not sure of what he wanted on the air. He was just kind of throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks. It was more variety show, like what, what we had uh, seen before that, you know, like the Dean Martin show and stuff like that, where sketches but also lots of music performances and then you know monologues so and then there's the muppets i mean so he really didn't know what to do and then of course snl was completely lost in the 80s where they went back to that again where they started bringing in like magicians and and then like three or four performances by a musician sketches that went nowhere constantly rotating the cast whereas it seems like keanu uh, i almost said keanu uh <laughs> uh keenan ever wayans clearly had a plan and he worked it out to the T. It, it also, I think it does help that he kept a lot of it in-house as AK in the family. So they all worked on it together. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, one cool thing about Alien in Color versus SNL is it kind of like, um, it kind of uh, borrowed, uh, I guess, the um, uh, the SCTV format where the sketches can be as long as they would like them to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, like the, the third... Um, the third season uh, pilot, it's the only reason I, so for a reason, I just counted how many sketches. There's only three sketches throughout the whole show. You know, I, mean, I know it's an hour and a half like SNL is, but th you know, three sketches for an hour is... Right. Not, well, not, I mean, I think we nice. also had been, uh, you either had the, the Mary, not the Mary Tyler Moore, the um, Carol Burnett format, which I think a lot of sketch shows do follow, is where they have right. the opening monologue, then the pat, you know, they have the pattern of the repeating sketches. Um, but there was also that weird moment where laughing kind of changed. And hee haw, they where they had lightning fast jokes. They weren't necessarily character building. They weren't necessarily funny, but they were fast, 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 and hip. So that was also a thing that maybe they took a little bit of. It's like it's the '90s. Let's make this move a little faster. Like that opening track, their their theme song is one of the best theme songs I've ever heard in my life. 
and oh, for sure. it really like oh this is something different because it didn't have that long winded uh, way that Sarant Live was doing. They kind of just went you know really uh, speedy. Introduce the cast. Let's get going. Well, yeah. Well, well, I guess one well, and this not being like like live live like SNL, like SNL is. Um, you know, you can kind of you know you can you can make the sketch work. It, it, it ends when it ends. You know, SNL kind of lives and dies by that like short, you know, approximately four minute uh, sketch window. Yeah. You know, sometimes you'll see the sketch like just end abruptly because you have a whole another show. You you know you got to you know you can't just you can't let it go on. It has to be short. It has to be sweet. Because you got all these other, th- all these yeah. Other, you have people you know. literally building sets uh, right. for the next sketch, and they got to, you know, it's it's they're waiting for you. Whereas with In Living Color, since it was it was filmed in front of an audience, but it wasn't live, so they can make yeah. edit trims or and stuff like that, and they can also do second or third takes of a sketch, especially if they flub it. There wasn't there wasn't that uh, fourth wall breaking, you know, the, the whole curse of like the Jimmy Fallon years where it, this, the, the sketch would just stop dead in his tracks because they couldn't stop laughing. Right, right. Yeah, so they had that. And I think I think you, you see what In Living Color did uh, was an influence, and we're going to be discussing those shows later, uh, is like John Leguizamo took over for uh, 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 In Living Color. And then when that didn't work, they took a lot of those guys over to Mad TV and you still see that influence. Like, they're not aiming for the old school. They, they felt like SNL was out of touch. So everything on Fox was trying... And that, that was a whole network, though, in general, was trying to gear towards high school kids and college age. Right. Well, they were kind of already doing that. The demographic was skewing younger with, like, Toasting Mary with Children. And yeah, Tony Jump Street, yeah. Right. So they were just trying to, they were trying to follow... And that's, that's the key demographic. Everybody's trying to get the... Uh, even the you know radio stations, TV stations, they're always they're always trying to get that key. Was it eighteen to thirty four? I, I think remember. yeah, something like that. that. That's that's the key. That's the demographic they want because they have the most disposable income. They have the most you can get make the most ad revenue. So that's that that's the whole game. You know yeah. What I mean? I, you know, I mean, I, I, sometimes you want the older demographic because they can sit from the TV longer, I suppose, and you can expose them to more advertising. But then, again, but they're more savvy with their investment, so they're less likely to spend the money. Yeah, it's a whole. But they're also the tastemakers. Once the eighteen thirty four group goes, they do kind of set a trend for a while, though, because whatever was popular, you know. And then, of course, there's the nostalgia route, where then you know that stuff comes back again. Um, that that group is key to hey, what's the next thing in television? So Fox never really was a, a ratings juggernaut until they started doing like the fucking bullshit uh, reality shows, the competition shows. They were always fourth place. But with that eighteen and thirty-four demographic, you didn't need the huge numbers because the ad sales were good enough. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and network TV, that's that was basically it. It's basically ads and a break <laughs> it's a break for programming. But yeah, and if you don't get if you don't get the ad support, the show is canceled. Now Fox was making waves. Yes, twenty one Jump Street and um, uh, Married Children were the ones that people were talking about in the first three years, but they were still struggling really hard. And everybody talks about the Simpsons being when Fox finally broke out, but people forget Simpsons debuted only two months before in Living Color, and in Living Color was huge. Those first three or four seasons were massive in the ratings. It's sad that the, five, the fifth season completely collapsed. Um, but that also made the network. No one ever talks about that. 
Yeah, it's it's it's, it's it really is a shame that like yeah, people forget like you know the uh, so, like the uh, some of the groundbreaking shows that really helped launch the network. And everyone always you're right. It's always always married with children. I, you know, the Tracy Ullman show gets lost in discussion too. Like you know the uh, uh, birth of The Simpsons. But yeah, yeah. It, it's for for whatever reason it's always and I just was guilty of it myself. It's just just three seconds ago. But in being married with children, The Simpsons, that's all we ever think of is. Yeah, so. I mean there was nine hundred two one zero in there too. I guess we can't dismiss that because that thing was on for ten fucking years. It clearly had its following. But in Living Colors, really when people started going, okay, they're not just a fly-by-night, barely over-syndicated quality. This is when, you know, they really started getting the reviews, the ratings, and started becoming serious competition. Do you remember when Fox had that ballsy move to take Simpsons in a Living Color and take it from Sundays over to Thursdays to take on uh, the Cosby show? Yeah, and um, and, and, that, and you know, they were... Um... From what I read earlier, that was uh, they were gambling on the fact that people wanted to see uh, uh, black comedy, uh, you know, with more of an edge. They don't want to see, you know, you know, they, they're going to get black comedies. Do don't want to see, uh, you know, the, the, the watered down, family friendly black right, comedy. Right, rubber cartoony like face. All borderline at times. In Bill Cosby uh, was what is my? They did a oh, minstrelism. You know, like the way that he would perform sometimes is almost cartoonish. Right. Um, and it felt pandering. This is, and this was kind of a kick in the nuts, but not in the way that you would think. Like they had a very subtle way. I was reading the book behind this, and some of the writers really wanted to be political and really wanted to have stronger social commentary. But uh, Keenan was wary of losing the white audience and also angering the network. So you always kind of kept it on the download. Like it would be towards the end of the show, or it'd be an undercurrent and something really cartoonish. You, you know, you would finally get the point. Um, but I don't, I don't think really things came to a head until, um, the Dave Chappelle show where, you know, he had the freedom of going on a cable station and he could be right. as just hard edged and in your face with whatever he had on his mind. Uh, you know, it, it, that's like 13 years later or something like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, uh most, most definitely. I, you know, when they kind of like, you know, when they did that, that brothers, brothers, I think that was their way of kind of like, uh, lampooning, like, um, uh, African American family friendly programming, but you know. Yeah. And, well, did they and, and, did they pull that again have... when when the Wayans the younger Wayans brothers uh, did their show over on the WB? They start off their show with that spoof. That was, the brothers exactly. Yeah. yeah that, was their, that was their theme. Right. 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 Well, I think it's interesting is when you watch the credits, they do them in alphabetical order, and I don't want to be cynical, but I almost feel like it was a warm-up to, hey, here's two white people, and then slowly... <laughs> did you notice that? Like, it's, it's James yeah. Carey, by the way. James Carey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, James, James Carey, and then Kelly Caulfield. I really yeah. like Kelly Caulfield. I, I thought that she deserved a better career than what she got, because I've only seen her in a couple things post in Living Color, but I thought she was really funny. I forgot how I forgot how how good she was. She yeah. is like she it reminds me of like a female Phil Hartman. She really does drive that show. She is I mean because you have to have you have to have straight you know a, a straight person to to move the sketch along. And she played the perfect straight white woman. I mean and, and then she could she could be her own goofy uh, right. Well, and David Allen Greer also had that same effect. He was the Phil right. Hartman of their show where he could play anything. Um, but he could, you know, he could be big and cartoonish, but he was really, really good at being the guy that had to bounce off the crazy person. Yeah, and I, I think um, I think a, a really good um, a real good example of both of them together in the same sketch, being a being being a playing a straight person, is when they did that that credit card commercial. Where um, I don't know if you remember that sketch, 
where he comes to an office and he was the he was, she was the head of the credit card company and there was a credit card commercial back that back back then with like you you'd call them it's like you know what and I really wanted to make, make sure that he had the great experience etc oh was, yeah I remember that yeah it was the racist version and she was such a bitch but it, I, I don't know it's really hard to explain but it was I remember I remember the exact commercial they were lampooning at the time and I thought those two played played off each other brilliantly it was really a really really well written and, and you know really well executed there's a it's pretty obscure it's an hbo movie that they've completely abandoned but it's free on youtube um it's called beer um it has rip torn and loretta Swit, and they're trying to they're an advertising company and they're hired to save this dying german beer company because they're too stodgy and they're not appealing to younger people or middle america so they they hire these three guys they see in a they get into a bar fight together and they think hey these are real men so they get these two guys, and David Alan Greer is the the third guy, and uh, he's very straight laced and boring businessman. You know, he just happened to be in that bar because he got fired from his job, and uh, they try to make him blacker, <laughs> and he takes it to the nth degree, and he starts dressing like he's from Breaking Two, Electric Boogaloo, <laughs> and trying to walk different. And go, what the bitches? Whatever, and I, it's such a fucking gold performance. If you haven't seen this movie, go watch it. His performance is just absolutely amazing. And you see, like, his wide variety of characters that he was working with all the way back then that he would bring into In Living Color. Yeah, you know, I think I've seen the, I think I've seen the thumbnail. Is he, like, just, like, holding a can of beer, like, out, almost like it's... Yeah, Norbecker beer! Yeah, yeah, okay. I, I see. I seen that. I've never actually seen it, but I, I am. I am aware of you talking about. Okay. I, I, I'll definitely check it out. If you say it's on YouTube, which is pretty much all I watch these days. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll definitely check it out. Well, and, and him and Jim Carrey already had down pat. You know, creating characters, and Damon Wayans had been on SNL for that one year, which <laughs> disastrous year for him. Yeah. But I think they they gathered people from the stand up world and the sketch world because you know. Uh, what was the movie? Uh, Hollywood Shuffle. That's where Keenan kind of made his name, and then he did I'm Gonna Get You Sucka. So they had already built this whole friendship collaboration with all well, these yeah, Keenan well, guys. And he was, uh, and Dave, Dave Alan Greer was, Dave Alan Greer was in that movie, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. He was play parts in that? Yeah, and he's one of the pimp guys that gets thrown down the stairs of Kadeem Hardison, I think. Okay. Um... And then Jim Carrey was in Earth Girls Are Easy with Damon Wayans, so it really was a cool kind of family friendship affair. And unlike a lot of the other sketch shows, where they're just grabbing people, and most of them do not know each other. The only other thing I can think of is those early years of SNL, where everybody was from Second City, or um, you know the National Lampoons, or you know stuff like that. That's why I think those shows work because. They already know each other. Kids in the hall, they already knew each other. When it's just a random bunch of people brought together, it doesn't work. Right. No, yeah. It, it's it's like um, it's like Hollywood networking at its best, at its purest. You know, that yeah. way it should be, you know? Well, there's you, also, you know, well, there's the state and Mr. Show. Everybody knew each other. But when you think about Mad right. TV, yeah, Mad TV was on for 10 years. But I don't think any of those people really knew each other before the show started. And I think every season they were just constantly cycling in and, in and out people who had no relationships so the collaboration on sketches, I think, makes the show stronger. Well, yes and no. I, mean, they, they, I think some of them knew each other um, from the stand-up world, but they had worked together, as, in, in a sense, like together uh, collaboratively. Like they would know, they'd know each other from like, the hallway at the store, the comedy store. Yeah, yeah, and it's know. different in stand-up. It's, it's completely you, unless you're in a team. Right. 
You know, you know what I found? That girl, um, uh, what, Takia uh, Crystal? Mm-hmm. Uh, or Crystal's Crystal Takia, however you pronounce her name. I think I'm, I'm butchering it. But uh, they found her in, uh, they found her like in a, a, a doing improv in a lobby, theater lobby in Chicago. Yeah. And, and she so was on the whole show. I didn't realize oh, that she yeah. was on all five seasons. As as was Jim, Jim Carrey, who was like, you know, get him to Jim Carrey, arguably the most talented member of the um, of that uh, of that show, came into work every day. You know, yeah, all, the, the whole time. And I, well, show. I read that in in the book, it does say that he started getting kind of tempestuous around season four, and a lot of it had to do with the fact that the writing was getting weaker and that everybody was abandoning the show, and he's like. If you're going to make me carry this show, considering almost all the Wayans have quit, you're going to right. have to pay me more. And you're going to have to let me, you know, pick a, my writers to, you know, build the sketches around. But then, of course, I think he got distracted while he was rewriting, he said, a truly atrocious script uh, called Ace Ventura. <laughs> he said it was a complete, utter piece of shit. Everybody in Hollywood had turned it down, but he had a gap in his schedule and he was worried that the show was going to come to an end and he needed something, anything. So he and Steve Odenkirk wrote that during, I think, between seasons three and four, and then it got released between four and five, I think. No, it got released you know, during the middle of five. Okay. Yeah. yeah I, was about to say, I was about to say, I think that came in at the twilight of, 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 the, of the show's uh, yeah. running. Cause, and know, he had I done The Mask it. by then because the special effects took so long. So the only thing he did post that was that huge payday for Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. Well... Oh, and also featuring a Charles Rocket, who was also in Earth Girls Are Easy. Oh yeah, also, yeah, and SNL. Who, yeah, who also took his spot for the for the you know who who beat him out on the audition like you know, for SNL the first time you know yeah. in eighty uh, one. And apparently, I just I didn't I, I don't know if I read this or, or, or forgotten about it, but he went to audition at SNL again in eighty five eighty six season. But apparently, somebody jumped and committed suicide uh, oh, off of rock, and uh, he fe- I, I don't know if it was. From the writers' room or somewhere above, you know, uh, in that, in that, you know, where in Rockefeller Square that was, but somebody had ju- jumped from the building, and he figured, oh, that would be me if I worked here, because by that that point, the rumors of how brutal it was and how stressful it was had already gotten gotten around, you know. Uh-huh. So he figured that would be my fate had I, uh, had I, because at that stage of his life, I guess he was going through a lot of stress, apparently. So he, you know, he opted not to audition a second time. Yeah. And, you know, worked worked out for him. Um, and it, it worked out eventually. I mean, he was kind of a, a working actor. And not, I mean, I'm, the world didn't know him as a stand-up comedian yet. Uh, we would only know based on, like, you know, oh, they released these old clips on Ha or Comedy Central. You know, I knew him, the first time I, I saw him was Once Bitten. And I, I didn't even know Yeah, that's the same, yeah, same thing. I think that's when most of us had seen him was One Bitten. And then they started rerunning that show. Um, do you remember on Comedy Central where he was, like, an animator? Like, duh. No. The Duck Soup it was only on for 13 episodes, but once In Living Color hit big, Comedy Central started airing this short-lived TV show from like 83. Yeah, he runs an animation company inherited from his uncle or something like oh, that. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, I, I, I do remember that. Okay, I, I do remember, I remember, I, I remember saying, what is this, what's Jim Carrey in? What is yeah, this, I just remember, I was like, oh, it's the show? hot blonde from the toy. Because <laughs> that's me at 13, boobs! Uh, actually, that's me now, too. Um... <laughs> Yeah, and I just, looking back, like, you know, Damon was the first one really to break out. You know, he got uh, Last Boy Scout, like, almost immediately. I think he got it between the first and second season. Yeah, and, was, was, that, that wasn't before Mo Money was. I thought Mo Money was one of the earlier ones. Uh, Mo Money was right after okay, Last maybe. Boy Scout. He had a miserable, miserable experience doing Last Boy Scout. He and, and uh, Bruce Willis hated each other's guts. 
and he decided that he wanted more control so he goes over to mo money and and that's where you know he geared more of it like i think he wrote it and then he had his brother in it and then wh- what do you do after that blank man i think i think you're right which yeah. is a fucking embarrassment someone told me their favorite movie was blank man and i was like <laughs> okay i'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to turn i'm to turn my back and walk away now sorry so you mean handyman the movie i don't mm. yeah, yeah. It, bad uh and then he had control over uh major pain and then that's when he kind of just let go and he did like three more movies and they all bombed and then he he just stopped he did a couple stand-up specials and i think he disappeared for like seven years until he did that sitcom well it's funny that that one sketch where he's the head detective we just like oh yeah that was kind of funny actually (laughs) that was based off like that was based off like a um one of the stand-up, uh, just, just just a bit he did during his stand-up. He's like, he's like, you know what? I always contemplate if I'm going to do suicide, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it like some attack. I'm going to jump off the building and I'm going to make it count. He's like, but the worst thing, I, the worst thing that possibly happen is, what if you survive? You end up just being like a pair of head and hands. Like, can you please kick me in the traffic? Please, just kick me in the traffic. Would you, would you mind just kicking me in the traffic, please? <laughs> and I was, thought that was hilarious. And then I said, cut to a few years later. I'm like, oh my god, that's from a stand-up. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm thinking not, not that many people. You know what I mean? that I knew had, had seen his stand, that stand-up appearance at that time, you know? Yeah, it is. I also find it interesting is a lot of the the Wayans, they just disappeared. I only ever see Sean. I mean, David came back for that Lethal Weapon show, but before that, I don't know what the hell he did. But I oh, have Mar- seen Marlon's, Keenan. Huh? Mar- Marlon's, been, Marlon's been in a bunch of stuff. Marlon's I meant, sorry, I meant Marlon. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Sean, I haven't seen forever. I have not seen Kim. I haven't seen Keenan. And I just like I see I see Damon's kid um, who's doing a really great job. Yeah, he's he's actually yeah he's, I've seen him in a bunch of stuff too. He's he's actually he's actually pretty pretty decent actor and pretty. What was he in that uh what's that what's that show with the, uh, Joey Joey Deschanel? Is uh, the new girl? The new girl. He was in that movie uh, Let's Be Cops. Yeah, right? he's, he's he's doing really well for himself. Just, but I wonder what yeah. it is. Do you think the Wayans just burned out and they have nothing else to say, or do they just like focus on their family because they have enough money now? What I don't know what it is. I think with them, it's like part of the thing is creative control. And if they don't have 100% creative, I don't want to say 100% creative control because you only do so much. But if they don't have a good stake in creative control, they kind of walk away. If they like, they were supposed to re- reboot the Living Color show in 2011, maybe 2012, and um, because uh, I guess because him, the networks agreed it wasn't sustainable for more than one season. He just kind of pulled the plug on it. The only notable like actor who is or comedic actor who's going to be in that is that little little Mel Howery. Oh, okay. Fine. Everybody else was a bunch of unknowns who I'd, I'd never heard of. But I, I think that's kind of his thing. If he, you know, he if he if it's his baby, you know what I mean. If he, or if he's going to be, I don't want to make him sound like he's like you know it's all ego driven. But if you know if he doesn't have. His his a good amount of input. He kind of doesn't want to do it. Right, a, and, and well, they can't really do the spoof movie. The the genre is so dead and so exhausted. And it seems like with YouTube spoofs of anything are immediate now. Instead of you know they don't have time to make a, a quality movie. I mean, look what happened with Scary Movie Two, and they were rushed. Yeah, that fucking sucked. And yeah. um, I just I kind of miss them though. I liked when I when I was reading it. I liked the fact that. He was content with the show, and then he was also trying to do movies between the seasons, either for him or for his family. But then he became so caught up in it because he got this huge deal from Hollywood Pictures to make movies, and it took him forever. And the only movie he got out during that time uh, was released actually after he left in Living Color, which was a low-down, dirty shame. Right, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you know, I I thought... I thought uh, that one was okay. Of course, he's playing the action. Wasn't if I'm if I'm mistaken. Wasn't um, 
what's her face in it with the uh gosh it just just said my my memory is shit she was oh, just Will, right Will Smith's, Will, Will Smith's wife Will um Jada Pinkett Smith thank you yeah, she was in that. That's a lot. The, one of the few things I remember seeing her in films. I know she's an actress. Yeah, I think I that's the first thing that anybody saw her in because everybody was like, who is this little uh, spitfire, you know? Um, <laughs> but yeah, and he just lost interest in the show and then the frustrations with the network because they started, the higher the ratings were, the more the network noticed them and the more say they started to have and it was driving him nuts. So he just walked away. And, you know, Damon only came back um, that last season because they offered him, I kid you not, a hundred thousand dollars a sketch. A sketch, not an episode. So and he only did like thirteen episodes and he just made wow. serious bank because at that time he was, you know, already probably knee deep in, you know, movie production. That's insane. That's like what professional athletes make a, a week now. Yeah, like, I I just heard of like a uh, like a European soccer player is making like you know he's making one hundred fifty thousand dollars a week, unheard of in the, in, in the modern day. And I'm like, I when and that for sketch, is it ridiculous? But I get perhaps that was just for that one show. I don't think that would be sustainable. Yeah, I think they, the you only need to have them come in for one sketch. But they were like they yeah. needed anybody because the show was starting to falter in season four. Um, I forgot that Kim Coles was in this because I know mostly know her for a living single. But yeah. I guess she just didn't work out with the show. A lot of a lot of people really burned out, especially at the end. If you look at the block here on Wikipedia and seeing how people just failed horribly towards the end, half the cast is featured only. Featured only. <laughs> and then season five is almost all brand new cast of nobodies, basically, and they all star in the show. I know who Alexandra Wentworth is because she's been in a couple of movies I've seen. Yeah, she's she's been Mad TV, and she was in um, uh, what's it called uh, Office Space as the bitch. Yeah, uh, I want to say she was in Trial and Error uh, yeah. with um, Jeff Daniels, but uh, Anne Marie Johnson is really the only one here who had any sort of career because at this point she had just come off of like a handful of seasons of In the Heat of the Night, and she was in. Uh, uh, I'm gonna get you, sucker. So she's oh, the only she, one. She, oh, she was in What's Happening Now too. Oh right, and Hollywood Shuffle. For she was in that too. So she's right. the only one that really had a lot of history in you know comedy. The rest of these guys, and I watched that last season. It is fucking brutal. Even the most basic sketches, um, you know, the ones that seem like they can be easy home runs are just phoning it in, generic. There's no energy. There's no stars anymore. Jim Carrey yeah. is literally holding it up as best he can. Yeah, I guess they, I guess, I guess they figure they would um, just keep recycling. There's just this wealth of talent, um, and and I guess it really depends on who your casting director is when it comes down to it. Um, you know what I mean? But uh, you know, I mean, even SNL realizes that like, you need a certain amount of years to grow them and make them household names, and they, they get their potential. But if they don't have it from the gate, that's why the audition process is so brutal at SNL. You have to have something at, at the door. You know what I mean? Before you can even like grow your talent and hone your talent, yeah. Become well, and you see that a lot of SNL guys they burn out within the first thirteen episodes. They got all the sketches they auditioned with, all the stuff that they worked out at the groundlings, and then they come on and <laughs> by episode ten, they're fourth cop in the background. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, for, I mean, yeah, poor, poor Brooks Wheeler, not to go SNL, not go all SNL on you, but you know he really tried, and he's always, yeah. He's I thought like, he was going to be the breakout of that group. Remember they introduced like seven people, and I was like, oh, that's the dude. Nope. Yeah. Actually, yeah, I think they I, I, fired everybody except Mike, uh, whatever his name is. He went back to writing. Oh, what, uh, was it? what's his name? Never mind. It's gonna, yeah, I don't want yeah. to go, go on tangents. But yeah. But yeah, I keep no, thinking, I, like, I, I remember speaking about SNL, how they took Chris Rock over. They offered him a huge paycheck and a control over his stuff. 
But he, again, he didn't have anything he wanted. He had to say. I mean, he's pulling stuff. I literally saw him pull the character he did for Mike. I'm gonna get you, sucker. And he did it again. And I was like, "That's all you got." And it, I mean, remember how we thought he was like gonna be in dire straits? CB4 didn't do well. He bombed on SNL that last year. They just threw him away. He came on this. He tanked. And then 1996, out of nowhere, he comes roaring back with that stand-up special that fucking blew him up. And then oh, he yeah. had the show. Uh, but yeah, just whatever reason, it did not work for him on In Living Color because it felt like it was gimmick casting, I think. Yeah, yeah, it really did seem like they were just kind of throwing things at the wall to see what would stick. Yeah. Do you remember the fucking guy from, I think it's season two of The Real World, the one that got deep shit kicked off the show? He was oh, on this yeah, for like yeah, 10 yeah. episodes. D- David something or other. He was yeah. a comedian from DC. I, just, I, I really, I'm not trying to like, you know, I really think he was kicked out unfairly. I really, I really do. I, you know, I'm not trying to be, you know, you know, con- do a commentary on sexual assault or anything. No, I, but it does but, seem like they did it for the, the controversy. You know, they did it, they amped it up. Yeah. Did he ever apologize? I think he did. And they're just like, fuck you, you're out. I was like, mm. He was just horsing no, around, and I, I, mean, I feel he, he he did apologize. He apologized yeah. for. I, I, he's like, I'm sorry if you thought that's what I was doing. I was not doing that. Yeah. But she wanted him to admit to what she was accusing him of, and he's like, I didn't know. That's not you know. She wanted him. To, she wanted him to commit the you know basically commit to a crime he did not commit. You know, when when it, when it comes down to it. And yeah. Like, Fuck this. I uh, the one thing we don't talk about is the biggest star to come out of this, and I can't believe I know Jim Carrey was huge for a while, but he has been gone for a long time as a lead. Yeah, he's in the Sonic movies, but think about the previous decade. The guy who's been the most consistent is the one that always surprised me is Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx, yeah, for Jamie sure. Jamie fucking yeah. Foxx wins an Oscar. Uh, has been a leading man for God, what a, a booty call? He's been right. Yeah, that's twenty five yeah. fucking years ago, and he yeah. technically on paper was only. Uh, a star of the final season because he was a featured player for two. Well, he, he made his debut in the third season. I watched that that pilot. He came in on the third season with um with I'm so bad with names. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. The Asian guy who then went on to marry Kelly Caulfield. Now still still married. To oh, is it Steve Park? Yes, thank you. And um so and and you know and I saw he was like he was you know a background player like in, one, in some of the sketches who like he'll be like a, a thug but he'll he has a speaking role and then of course what he did. That Wanda character was kind of his. It's a soft breakout for him. Yeah, that was his signature. I liked. Yeah. There was a there was a character he played that reminded me later that it would show up in uh, Key and Peele are the two guards at the door who would talk shit and just yeah. jabber John and do all these crazy characters or whatever, but they were actually just like loudmouth pussies. And I was like, oh, it's like the two doormen in Key and Peel. <laughs> but they only did that a couple times. I was like, this is fucking gold. How do you ignore this? But yeah, it, I, 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 th- I think that's one of my problems with the Living Color, too. They just want to constantly keep everything new and fresh, and they're kind of ignoring what works. Unless it's like a, like a, a tried and true test of character like Homie the Clown or Fire Marshal Bill. Yeah, but those did like start to exhaust each other because there's only so many places you can go with like Fire Marshal Bill. Exactly. Um Whereas Homie the Clown was better because he was just social commentary you could put into anything. I hated the homeless guy, the one that carried around his turds, because I just felt oh, like yeah. they were going around in circles with that one, too. <laughs> uh, yeah. Men on Film was great because it didn't matter. It's just whatever new film they had, they could make jokes about. So that one always worked. I know it's not PC, and <laughs> but uh, it's still, I still think it works. It's funny because they're not flat out going, oh, we hate gay people. We're just, like, ribbing them. Yeah, no, and, and like and they're 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 doing what other 
they're lampooning straight culture. You know yeah. What I mean? So you know what? So, yes. So you know, I think people are missing missing that point. Like, oh, look at this with this. There's too too much women in here for me. Ugh, no thank you. <laughs> Uh, the Buttheads, right? That was the one? Oh, yes. Yeah, that yes. one, I remember crying laughing. It was so good. But that's also one that doesn't have a whole lot of life to it. The 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 cop, you said, the, what was it called again? The Headless Cop? Or the... Uh, oh, uh, the, the Head Detective. The Head Detective. That one, it yeah. just wear out its welcome because there's not a lot of places to go with. But there's some of them that's like... And Jim Carrey obviously could do anything. Throw him into any fucking sketch. And sometimes it was razor sharp wit. When they took on the cops during the uh, the, the uh, Rodney King whole, the whole thing or whatever, fucking razor sharp commentary, um, mm. and and he obviously is very laughed and he can skew it like nobody's business, uh, skewer them like nobody's business. And I feel like he had the sharpest tongue because I feel like every time Keenan wanted to, he would pull back a bit. Yeah, I don't know. Like maybe if he felt that it was coming from one of his players and not him, it's not he wouldn't. The oh right, like he's not getting on a soapbox and preaching. Right. So I, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I'm theorizing. I'm not 100 percent sure, yeah. but I, I guess if he feels it's done by somebody else, it won't. He won't. People, the network, you know, the network censors will come down on him as hard. Perhaps. I, you know, I don't. It's hard to hard to say. Um, it, it's kind of a tight rope you have to watch. You need to keep your show relevant and on air. Yeah. And, but at the same time, you know, you don't want it to become stale and the uh, you know, formulaic. The post career. Uh, post in loving color, color career obviously Jim Carrey Jamie Foxx the huge ones David Allegreer was always my favorite and I never felt like a lot of people utilized him properly because when they tried to make him a star a lead it didn't do well and I don't think he's he seems like a Phil Hartman kind of guy but also when you think about Phil Hartman he worked best when he was a support yeah he works be- he works best in an ensemble he's not like he's yeah not- and like you watch Phil Hartman flounder in that house guest movie which I think is the only time he's ever been a, a lead but then you throw him on news radio and he's fucking gold and oh, then David great. Alan Greer when you throw him into like the Bonnie Hunt stuff that he would do uh, right. he worked really well Jumanji he works really well but like when he had his own show remember he had a show immediately after this and they threw it on Saturdays because they knew it stunk yeah. Oh man, my, yeah, my memory is or gag. Do you remember that? The, where he was a secret service guard to, um, oh shit, what's the the heavy set lady from Designing Women that uh... Delta Burke? <laughs> Delta Burke. <laughs> I think I do remember that. Yeah, yeah it's called Dag David Allen Greer. Um, that didn't work. Tommy Davidson's the one though that I think suffered the most, and he said it himself is that he had a severe cocaine addiction, and yeah. everything that he built up during those years, like with you know Woo and Booty Call and stuff like that, just that's collapsed. what I say. The only thing I know. Only thing I know him from is Booty Call. That's yeah. it. Yeah, and then uh, he was hosting like five years later. He's hosting what Premium Blend or whatever it was on Comedy Central, and I haven't seen him since. Well, you know what? He was in. One, I don't know if it was um, Ace Ventura when Nature Calls. He was one of that's the, true. The, tri- the, tri- the tribes people. But besides that, I don't yeah, know. that's not a star making thing. That's him and Jim Carrey no, just goofing around. Know. But exactly, yeah. I think, and he said he was very temperamental, and the cocaine just made him un. Un, unreasonable and so I think he burned a lot of bridges which I think he is a shame because I do think he's very funny very, very talented I mean very good very good at physical comedy you know um, I've seen some of his stand up stand up's not bad you know no, so it's I, good. I don't know I don't know I don't know what his, his writing ability is like for sketches but yeah that's you know. that's another thing if you couldn't write but I I imagine if he couldn't write I mean the same thing with SNL if you're a, a solid performer people are going to write for you yeah, I know they had they had um, the, I think they had both both the Wilmore brothers, uh, um, Larry and his brother yeah. who recently just died, who was also a cast member. Right, uh, Mark. For, 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 yeah, there you go. 
and uh, so you know, perhaps they were they wrote some material for him, the, the, what 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 he couldn't do for himself. Yeah, um, I'm looking at the ratings right here, and I'm actually surprised. There's no ratings for the first season, which is a surprise, but they peaked at 42. But back then, that was a 12.2 rating, which <laughs> today would be like number one. <laughs> So I, I do have I do have some stats here. I said the first episode, uh, April fifteenth, nineteen ninety, "The Fall of Married Children," was watched by twenty two point seven mil- million people, making it the 29th most viewed show for the week. Wow! So, not you know, not 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 I would not not a lot of slouch, you know, not not like you know. But also, you got to remember there history. weren't a lot of Fox stations back then. Remember, they were still like they had to I, go on part true. of another station. Like the the station would air everything normal except for like Sunday nights and Saturday nights. That's true. Yeah, you, you really were you were really uh, going uh, going to battle against the three big VHF stations, you know. Yeah, and and, and kids don't understand because we had no streaming. We just had those three main networks, and we always had like one or two off channels that were higher yeah. up, you know, like in the forties and fifties and higher. Yeah. And we, those we, we, were the we, ones that were like, "Hey, we only have reruns of these old shows." It's like that movie UHF. We yes. need some fresh programming, so they were always doing syndicated shows and packages and stuff like that. And then Fox comes along and sets the pattern for what would you know, like the CW and the UPN networks would attempt to do. But they even had fewer stations to work with. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I remember as a kid, I had a channel. Channel Forty Eight was like a Philadelphia area station, a station which I applied for and and got got rejected for, which you know it's all for the best, but. Yeah, I, I remember some of those. All they did was like play the Three Stooges and shit like that. You know? Yeah, ours always played uh, old packages of really garbage movies. If it had Canon at the front of the movie, you knew it was going to be on that station. <laughs> Does it have Chuck Norris or Charles Bronson? <laughs> so that's the best that station had to offer. And I know that Paramount had attempted it the year before Fox debuted. I think we talked about this years ago on the 20th anniversary or 25th anniversary of Fox. Um, or no... 87, 97, okay, it was 30th anniversary. Um, okay. That Paramount had attempted it with Star Trek and the Arsenio Hall show, or that was their plan with the Arsenio Hall show. And then they said, you know what, let's not even do this. And they waited like seven more years to see if Fox worked out. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's strange, you know. It's... <laughs> but without a living color, Fox does not expand beyond Saturday and Sunday. And Saturday was not working whatsoever. That became like a wasteland for cops and in America's Most Wanted forever. Yeah. And then yeah. they decided, hey, let's expand. So, I mean, think about it now. They're on every single day. But there was a time when it was only Sunday and Thursday. And because of the success of Simpsons and Your Living Color in face of you know NBC's lineup, then they're like, well, let's try another night. Let's go for Monday and then slowly expand through the week. Yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. I forgot when they were a fledgling station, they only had so much programming. I, I, you know what I mean? You, it's, it's funny what, what, what you recall. You know, you, you recall it being this juggernaut and being every night, uh, like, you know, it was must tune in. But, yeah, it was, only, it was only like a handful of nights throughout the week. And then you would switch, you would switch over to the other networks because there wasn't enough programming to sustain you for, for a whole week. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you want to say about Unloving Color before we go? They had some really good parody. You know what I mean? You know, like you're talking about a parody movie. It's tough to sustain that throughout a whole 120 minutes or whatever, 90 minutes. But they really did some fantastic parodies. I remember when Misery was, um, I think you know what? This is the opening sketch for the third season when Misery was in the theaters, and then also Rick James 
happened to like uh it was in the news that he like abducted some woman after a party for three days oh my god they did a spoof on that rick james was like the misery person <laughs> and it was so funny because like he's like he's like he's like why do you think you're going you dirty birdie you think you're gonna leave old rick james here give like, it to me girl <laughs> yeah and then uh he's like he's like he's like i let you come in here i let you <laughs> i let you let me watch you make out with my wife <laughs> and then after I was, I don't know, it was hilarious. And then, he, of course, he breaks her legs, like or breaks her foot, like he does. I thought that was hilarious. And my second favorite sketch, only because I was such a huge Sanford and Son fan, was when he does that. I only think he did it once or twice. He did the Sanford and Son spoof, but he goes, uh, Ash comes up, Ash, I thought I flushed the toilet. Made me laugh <laughs> so hard, like 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 recently, like a couple weeks ago. I was like, oh my god, I forgot how hilarious that was. <laughs> All right, so the next episode, we're discussing the competitors of the early 90s, the Ben Stiller show, The Edge, almost live, and uh, see if I can think of any others from that era, because that's when people started noticing, hey, there's blood in the water. If, if, if In Living Color can survive against, well, they're not really surviving against. That's the thing that people confuse. It was not necessarily a competitor in uh, time slots, but it was a competitor in having The Edge, you know, the, 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 the hip news show taking over. Um, well, well that, I think everybody wanted to give their perspective. Like they, they always felt like their perspective wasn't being addressed. Like I don't know, maybe a young white Hollywood people growing up in LA, maybe they thought their comedic voice wasn't. You know what I mean? I, I think yeah, everybody just wanted to. Try. Well, yeah. Well, SNL was always trying to be of the moment in everything that everybody knew. It was trying to get to the biggest audience possible. But then you had in Living Color getting a little more niche. And then it just kind of sent out a signal. It's like, hey, these very particular voices have something to say. Let's see what, you know, and they were always lower budget and they were always always a half an hour. So there wasn't much to lose for the network. And they just buy like, you know, a season or half a season. So that's what we're going to explore is very particular voices during this time period. Well, yeah, and to the strength of like, let's say a parody sketch, just because that doesn't apply to you doesn't doesn't necessarily mean it's not funny. You can, you can, you know, you could still find funny and be absurd. So, you know, if, if someone from a different walk of life is doing their own version of sketch comedy, maybe like, say, the kids in the hall, just because these things though, doesn't apply to you and maybe in Canada or in L.A., doesn't mean that you won't find it funny. And right. Think, you know, there's, there's yeah, because that's the big like, thing yeah. we're discussing is Almost Live is a very Pacific Northwest TV show. You know, it was out of Seattle, and it just kind of talked about that area. It's kind of like the early Portlandia. Right. But there's still universal themes. And like Ben Stiller, he had more of a movie, long-term kind of a slow burn sense in his sketches instead of immediate laughs and obvious laughs. So that's what's going to change. And I, I can't wait to get through those shows and see what you know what holds up and what doesn't. I already know Ben Stiller does because I've been watching the Manson sketches. <laughs> Fucking oh, yeah, killing me. And, and it's and some of their parody sketches are... <laughs> the 902, are, are, I'm not a robot! <laughs> well, what he does... When he does uh, die, die Hard at the grocery store, oh, yeah. that's still one of my favorites. All right, let's say the next episode before we run it for ourselves. <laughs> okay. All right, so check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and all your uh, podcast hosts under Hit Rewind Podcast. Subscribe, share, and comment. And that is it for tonight, or whenever you've ended listening to this. And Tony, thank you for uh, waiting while I got my shit together for this episode. Oh, my pleasure. All right. Living color. <laughs> I love that fucking song. It's so good. <laughs> And, oh, I loved every every season. They changed the intro, too. And yeah. they, they gave it a whole new look, and I really like that, too. I love when David Allen Greer takes his bike up to the camera with the paint. Fucking love that. I don't know why. 
<laughs> That's so stupid. I don't know why I said that out loud. I'm a child. <laughs> That's, hey, hey, you like what you like. What, what are you going to do? Ah, all right. We're out of here. Bye.